Hi everyone, I'm Gary Knoll, and this is a program about empowerment. And we always begin with the latest of brand new information, all peer-reviewed from the National Library of Medicine, and that's the repository of the finest science that we have. Today it's about a study published in the British Journal of Nutrition, and it adds a lot of new impact to why we should be drinking green tea extract on a regular basis, because there are thousands of studies about green tea. I suggest the decaffeinated green tea. However, this is a meta-analysis, meaning many different studies, and they found an association between those who consumed green tea on a regular basis an improvement in your body composition measurements and other factors in men and women. And that's good. This was a randomized controlled trial, and all these were, that they looked at, 59 different studies they looked at. And it changed your BMI, body mass index. That's the, that's the fatty deposits around your waist, the circumference, and your total body fat mass, and the body fat percentage, and the obesity-related hormones, and like leptin, and, uh, and oxidation factors, meaning you want antioxidants like vitamin C and vitamin E to counter the oxidant, or what we call the prooxidant, and that means that's the free radicals, and you want to trap them and neutralize them. So when you drink green tea, you're trapping more free radicals, protecting yourself from being damaged, you're going to live a longer life, and you're going to have a better fat composition. That's what this showed. Now, from the Francis Crick, C-R-I-C-K Institute, which is a famous uh, institute in science, they found that dietary supplements could protect against uh, a kind of cryptosporidium infection. And that's serious, because you don't want a chronic cryptosporidium infection, which are very particularly uh, prevalent in children under two, and where people have poor nutrition in poorer neighborhoods. Now what this is, it's a parasite, and it infects and damages the small intestine. It's one of the leading causes of diarrhea-related deaths in children, and it's associated with malnutrition and stunted growth. And cryptosporidium is also a common infection in people with a weakened immune system. Well, who's likely to have the weakest immune system? Someone who has the poorest diet or drinks the least clean water. And therefore, that's what leads to this parasite, and that's what leads to a weakened, even further weakened immune system, and frequently death. So, if we could have um, a supplement that would keep people, especially babies and young children, from having this, and what they showed at the indoles, I-N-D-O-L-E-S, those are molecules found normally in cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, um, mustard greens, watercress. These are your cruciferous vegetables. They're a little tart. They're frequently called bitters. But boy, are they powerful in helping your immune system. And they help with the regulation of a receptor which regulates barriers in the gut, skin, and lungs. So when you have that kind of really good nutrition, it can make an enormous difference in 
helping prevent these infections. And this was published in the peer-reviewed journal Cell, Host, and Microbe. So you want to get rid of the cryptosporidium parasite and get rid of the infection, uh, which triggered an expansion of the immune cells in the intestinal epithelium, the layer of cells in the lining of the intestine, which is part of the first line of defense against parasites. This does it. All right, just suggesting one more reason that all Americans should be having more of the cruciferous vegetables in your diet because they have the indoles, I-N-D-O-L-A-S, and those indoles, like indole-3-carbonyl, and that reduces the population of, the, uh, of many of the problems that can occur in your gut. So, that's that. Now, from the University of Montreal comes a study about exercising during pregnancy gives a newborn brain development a head start. What do I mean? As little as 20 minutes of moderate exercise three times a week during pregnancy, like a power walk, enhances the newborn child's brain development. That's according to research at the University of Montreal at their children's hospital. So that gives a head start that could impact the child's entire life. Quote, our research indicates that exercise during pregnancy enhances the newborn child's brain development. So, that's good news. And one last thing here from the University of Texas. Increasing meat consumption, which most Americans are doing, especially when cooked at high temperatures, is linked to elevated kidney cancer risk. So, when you watch those commercials, and they're everywhere on television, and you see all that, you know, here's the meat, and everyone has all the bacon and all the trimmings. Well, they have to cook that at a high temperature in order to kill off the bacteria. But in the process of doing that, when you eat it, you risk increasing your risk of kidney cancer. So, once again, any diet high in meat can lead to an increased risk of developing renal cell carcinoma, and the renal stands for the kidneys, through the intake of carcinogenic compounds created by certain cooking techniques, like barbecuing and pan frying. And that's just bad. This was published in the Peer Review Journal of Cancer, and it was done at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. So high cooking, really bad. And uh, it causes specific genetic mutations in a person who's eating anything, anything that's high cooked, but meat in particular, because of heterocyclic amines. So just saying, once again, the healthy diet, the long life diet, is a healthy plant-based diet. Oh, and by the way, one more. University of California, San Francisco, in the Kaiser Permanente research, found that as more medications move towards federal approval for Alzheimer's disease, a new study led by researchers at both their Kaiser Permanente in Washington and University of California, San Francisco, have found that personalized health and lifestyle changes can delay or even prevent memory loss for high-risk older adults. So it's not the drugs. The drugs are not going to do diddly squat. 
but a two-year study compared cognitive scores, risk factors, and quality of life among participants of whom half had received personalized coaching to improve their health and lifestyle in areas believed to raise the risk of Alzheimer's, such as uncontrolled diabetes and physical inactivity, a sedentary lifestyle, very bad. These participants were found to experience a modest boost in cognitive testing, amounting to a 74% improvement over the non-intervention group. So here's something we can do to prevent that from happening. And improvements were also noted between the two groups and measurements of risk factors and quality of life, translating approximately to 145% improvement in quality of life. All right? That is uh, against 8% of those who didn't do it. So that's important. And by the way, if you have cognitive deficiencies, if you find your memories going, what can you do now to help? Tomato and lemon extracts. The two work synergistically together to improve cognitive function by increasing a brain-derived neurotropic factor level. This was done at the Seoul National University Graduate School in South Korea. Now, we all are experiencing brain aging, but some of us don't have it, at least nothing that we have seen in any symptoms, meaning our brain at 60 could be the same brain biochemically and mechanically and the electrical charges capacity of 30. And that's why some people, even in their 40s, are losing their memory because of our lifestyle and stress factors cause oxidative stress in the brain. So brain aging, the primary risk factor for cognitive impairment, primarily occurs because of the accumulation of age-related neuropathologies. So identifying effective nutrients that increase cognitive function can help maintain your brain health longer. And what did they find? They found tomatoes and lemons have various bioactive functions that exert protective effects against oxidative stress, aging, and cancer. Moreover, they've been shown to enhance cognitive function. And they did a study on this. And they worked together with tomato and lemon together. And in that, they found that this synergistic effect enhanced cognitive function and uh, uh, neurogenesis in this study. So this was an in vivo study. So just to say, if you want to have your brain healthier, memory longer, uh, executive function capabilities, why not have a tomato juice with lemon juice combined, one a day, eight ounces? Okay. So, just one more thing that helps us live a longer and healthier life. And every single day, I'll bring you more information, the finest quality science. It's peer-reviewed. It comes from the federal government. I'm not making this stuff up. But a lot of this stuff I've been doing my own as a scientist, as a biochemic, um, understanding nutritional biochemistry, I've been working on this for my entire adult life. So I'm glad to see that the science, official science, is catching up to those of us who are in the field who are a little more innovative and then have been at this longer. We're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. 
Continuing with looking in the more important areas to see the underlying cause, not the symptoms. We can all see the ghettoization of our cities, at least some of the cities, those that are politically motivated uh, to create rules and laws that decriminalize theft. And now we have $4 billion in the last 12 months stolen out of New York City stores. Think of how many small business people have gone out of business. Why is that happening? You can look at the store closing and say why, or you can look at the people who benefit from this and say, what are you doing? What's your motivation? So I'm not looking at COVID, at all the deaths, injuries, permanent or temporary, as disastrous and heart-rendering as that is. I'm looking at who were the people behind that? Who are the people behind wanting a cashless society? Who are the people wanting us to eat insects? The Bill Gates of the world. Who wants to control our bodies? Who wants to control our minds? Why is Silicon Valley never challenged for all of its excesses? Why is artificial intelligence being used and promoted as something good to the very people whose jobs and career is going to destroy? And yet that's exactly what's happening. So it's a big canvas we have to look at. We have to look at the larger picture. Today, I'm going to show you two parts of that picture. But before we go there, and I'm setting time aside, if you'd like to call in and respond, it's just a, a time to say thank you to a few people in this audience. Yesterday, I made a presentation on the corruption of the World Health Organization and how a lot of people think, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me, Gary. It has everything to do with you because it's working hand-in-hand -hand with the World Economic Forum, which is working hand-in-hand -hand with the all the other major groups, like the Council on Foreign Relations and the Deep State. For example, when the price of uh, oil goes up, they're going to say it's supply and demand. That's not true. Because they could, if they chose, have the cost the same. It just means their margin of profit would be less. But who makes the real money when there's a crisis, when there's inflation? The middle person. The person that doesn't own a farm has never planted a seed and yet will take a percentage of profit from every farmer in America. Why don't we ever look at that and say, why do we need these people in all areas of life? In medicine, when, when you go into a hospital and you're charged $36,000 for a simple a delivery, why is that acceptable? The people who are making the profit is not the nurse. Not the anesthesiologist, the physician. They do all right. But the people who are making billions of dollars, billions, are the people contributing nothing constructive to your life. They're the, they're, they're, they're the economic parasites, and you don't know their names. So I'm looking behind the scenes at who's really responsible for our problems. And so yesterday was just one article that can be used and it was legally vetted, it was academically vetted to make sure it's accurate. So we don't have the media on our side. They're against us. The platforms are against us. The government is against us. The corporate interests are against us. So who's with us? You and I, that's who. So when we talk about taking some information, if you find it valid, if you don't, don't use it, but if you find it valid, then share it with others. 
It's that sharing with others that makes a difference. So I want to, first of all, thank some people. For example, out in Sedona, Arizona, we have Kathleen Francis. Kathleen is a catalyst for information. She absorbs information. She challenges to see if it's accurate, honest, and objective. If it is, she has a whole network of thousands of people who count upon her to be that radar, checking to see if there's something that we should be concerned about. She shares it. She doesn't have to. She takes time away from her job to do that. So we thank her, Kathleen Francis. We also want to thank a few other people out there uh, who also, again, they don't have to do this. Uh, Mitchell Raven. Mitchell's a nice guy. I've known Mitchell for a long time. He's very thoughtful. He's very kind. And he's very patient. And he helps people uh, with meditation and de-stressing. Here's what he wrote. Such a good, important show article today. Thank you and Richard. I've written a number of letters to our representatives in Congress and the White House about this. Signed petitions, etc. The demanding uh, political efforts are all done politely. But I no longer ask that they reject this treaty and anything that signs away the rights to our freedom and democracy. Your article inspires me to do the, the same again tonight. But this isn't the first time Mitchell Raven has sent to his thousands of people that follow him and his work um, this information on every important environmental and human rights issue. He has been right at the forefront of, once again, like Kathleen Francis, sharing that with his audience. So we thank him. And we have others in this audience. Um, I won't mention their names because they're not public figures. And uh, But uh, Christy, thank you. And Christine, thank you. But a special thank you goes out to one person who, almost more than anyone else I know, is always on the right side of these issues. And uh, that is uh, Mitchell Cohen. Mitchell heard the show yesterday, and uh, he was right there to, you know, say, yes, we're going to deal with this. And he had already written an interesting article. I read it, and then it was suddenly gone from my email. I don't know why, but I could not find it. I wanted to read it again on today's show. And it talks about, was it an accident that all of Israeli intelligence the most sophisticated in the world, dwarfing our national security agency, but working cooperation. And what he said in essence, also, by the way, I must say thank you to Christy Mack. Christy's an outstanding fashion designer and uh, very much a health advocate, and she has her own network that she shares information with. I just came across her name just now, also sharing. But anyhow, what Mitchell said, and if I can find his article, I will post it on PRN so you can read it for yourself. It's very important that you read it because it's his premise that this was not a mistake. This was not an oversight on part of the intelligence agencies. There's too many things that went wrong. And he's saying this was intentional. This was a false flag. This was to help get Netanyahu out of of trouble because he's in trouble before this. The people wanted to throw him out of office. But also it allowed the neocons, the superhawks, the right wing in, in uh, the Knesset 
you know, the Likud party, to literally carpet bomb all of uh, the West Bank, uh, the Gaza, and literally push all those people into Sinai or kill them. Do you know that the day that the, um, the, the, the ceasefire ended, they dropped 10,000 bombs, all made by the United States, including bunker bombs, that can just evaporate an entire building in a second with all the people in it. And then they said, with patent lies, and I'll prove this on tomorrow's program, that if you go to this place, this one safe place is absolutely safe. There'll be tents and food and water and supplies and foreign aid. It'll all be there for you. So Sky News, not any American news, Sky News in Australia, went to that area and with a drone flew over the exact area. It's a toxic dump site. It's, there's nothing there. There's no tents. There's no water. There's no food. There's no organization. It's a landfill. It's a garbage dump. And you're going to put a million and a half Palestinians in a place that's not very large, probably about 10 football fields. You want them to go there? You're lying. Everything the government of Israel is saying is a lie. And it's time we stood up to it. And today I'm going to play you a clip. It's going to give you a little better understanding of this. But no American media was, had the courage to tell the truth. Mitchell Cohen tells the truth. His article is important. Mitchell, if you're listening, send me the article, and I will see that it's posted. Might even read it on tomorrow's show, because it's a really good article you did. He shows the conspiracy and how they use propaganda to try to satisfy the need of the average Israeli to get the Gazians out completely and never allow them to return. So we have people like that. I remember the first time I met Mitchell, it was at a public hearing, official public hearing, where we were there to offer our opinion, or in my case, in Mitchell's case, scientific evidence. He made a very good presentation about the chemicals being sprayed around neighborhoods, getting into playgrounds, and how toxic it was. I was there to show the actual science of what was in every one of those sprays, and how deadly it was to the young people's immune system. And we had, we had a reprieve on that. At least one little battle we won. Years later, when I was doing a fundraising effort, uh, I was not on BAI at the time. I had been expunged by a political group, and they were very successful. You know, they, they, hey, give them credit. They managed to take every real progressive, honest person and fire them, all the station men. But they, they succeeded. Okay, And remember, the victors in life always tell the story of what happened, and they conveniently expunge any, any realities that would adversely affect them. But here's one guy in the rain outside, and I don't forget these things. These, to me, are some of the, the little things you do in life are the ones that impress me the most. And uh, as people were entering to see this brand new film and a lecture that held about 800 people, there were 1,000 people there, there were so many people, we had them on the stage. But outside in the rain was a guy hanging out, a little flyer saying, bring Gary and all back. That was Mitchell Cohen. I don't forget stuff. Just to remember, this is something my mother taught me. If you have to ask people to do the right thing, you're asking the wrong person. So doing the right thing without being asked 
shows selflessness. It shows commitment to higher ideals. It shows going against the political correctness of the time. It shows taking a risk to your own reputation. And again, I don't forget those things. So it's good to know you have a Mitchell Cohen out there. So good for him. So that's my call out and shout out. Now to continue what I started yesterday and even go deeper into depth on it, I mean very deep, and give you information you did not know, because I can only do so much an hour, is tonight at 7 o'clock on the amendments. And why? And here's why you should listen and you should know about this and you should fight back, because every single person on the planet that is a member country, and we are one of the 179 countries that's a part of that, you will be under their power grab, because all this is is a global power grab. And I'm going to have James Rukoski on. He is one of the finest independent journalists, and he is the most knowledgeable journalist I know in the world on uncovering documents. And he's the one who uncovered the documents of the proposed amendments to the international health regulations and the international legal instrument adopted in 2005 at the 58th World Health Assembly and legally binding on 194 countries. The international health regulators uh, cover pandemic response measures for preventing the spread of infectious diseases across national boundaries. So James is going to take you through this. It'll be meticulous. It may be, some people may be tedious, but he's going to show you point for point for point how they've got such broad language that they can do anything they want to if it's in, quote, the public interest. And who dictates that? They do. Not you, not your doctor, not the state, uh, uh, let's say, uh, top doctors or the public health commission, not the FDA, not the CDC, not our U.S. Supreme Court. We have no control once this is signed in six months from now. We've got six months because remember, behind this is the World Economic Forum. And behind that is the International Monetary Exchange, the Bankers Bank. They're playing all their cards at once. So if you care about freedom, pay attention. I do not hyperbolize. I never say anything unintentionally. So please understand, you listen tonight. Your life and your future count upon it. And for those of you who don't, and there's four types of people approximately more or less 90% of the American population will hear information, and depending upon if it's coming from their religious leaders, their political or ideological leaders, their social leaders, their educational leaders, and the media that supports that, they will believe it. They won't look for an alternative opinion. They won't do any more homework. They'll simply say, ah, oh, I know the truth. Well, what if the truth you think you know is just a political truth, an economic truth? Eat this food. Was that true? Was that good? Was that healthy? Did the people convincing you by propagandizing you over decades to eat pizza and hamburgers until one day when you get hungry, that's all you think about eating? You don't think about eating anything healthy because you're programmed. You're in a part of a, a mass psychosis of artificial belief. Wow, 90% of the American public. That does make them bad people. I'm not making a moral judgment. I'm making a realistic judgment about how lacking in objectivity and honesty, did that change anyone's mind? Absolutely not. Get tested by a fraudulent test. 
which radio show in America, the only radio show in the United States to tell you that the PCR test was fraudulent and watch an hour and 54 minute documentary that I did with the founder, the Nobel Prize winner, Carrie Mullis, who was a personal friend on not taking the PCR to determine you if you have a disease, yet they didn't care. They were doing it 41 cycles. Above 13 cycles, he said, is junk. So almost everyone who was tested positive for COVID had a false positive reading. And then get masked. Even now, get masked. Pregnant, get the vaccine. All against real science. And yet people today, even pregnant people, are getting the vaccine, the flu vaccine, which they should never get. And the, the COVID vaccines, which they shouldn't have. And yet 5,000% increased miscarriage. Everywhere you look in life, I can show you. When was the last time that you had a major religious organization take all their members worldwide and go to Washington, D.C. and protest even one piece of legislation that they're opposed to? You haven't. They don't do it. So religion is a part of the problem, the way it's been captured and politicized and monetized. The preacher says, I need this $65 million jet because i got to get closer to God uh, where if I'm in a subway, I can't get closer to God. Too many distractions. And the congregants not only gave money for that, but bought him another one as well. He needed two, of course. And no one sees this. You can't see anything when you're a member of a cult. Anyhow, I'm going to get into the whole idea of all these self-motivating people from Deepak to Tony and Wayne Dyer. I'm going to deal with them on an upcoming program and their so-called enlightened insights. But right now, we have no enlightenment from our government, from major institutions, including the ones you've trusted. So 90% of the people are going to do whatever they're told to do. But that's only one step against logic. The second step is not being able to take a step in the direction of the truth. Because once you believe a lie, you absolutely will destroy the person presenting the truth. The truth then becomes a lie, pure, pure Orwellian. But who are the next 10%? The next percent are the people who listen to this radio show and say, hmm, okay, I'm glad to know that, and do nothing with it. They won't write a letter, they won't demonstrate. But almost everyone is offensive, in my opinion, because of their inertia. They could see a tsunami coming. The preacher, the minister, the rabbi, the imam, the politician, the IBM executive, uh, Steve Jobs, if he were still alive, would say, there's nothing coming at you, so go pick up the seashells now that the ocean is rescinded by a mile. And the people are saying, look up. You're going to get wiped out. No, we're not. How dare you? So now take an honest look. Just be honest for once. The people who listen don't do anything. You're part of the problem because you live in some delusional state that because you hear something, you don't have to deal with it because you heard it. But then there's two left, and they represent about 5 to 7%. The people who hear something and do something. The people that will commit themselves, like a Mitchell Cohen, like the people in this audience, like the 7,000 of you who showed up with me in front of uh, in Union Square about 10 years ago, and we locked arms around the Bank of America, willing to be arrested for the globalization and uh, the problems with the debtors' prisons, the problems with cause charging usurious uh, interest payments, etc. We were challenging, and who stood up with me? Chris Hedges. 
and who was supposed to broadcast it live but didn't because they screw up everything? WBAI. So a lot of people were at home, and I support those who couldn't get there but wanted to hear it and were supporting it in spirit. But 7,000 of you did, and 10,000 of you marched with me to Washington, D.C. over 10 days to demonstrate against genetic engineering. You're the people that make a difference. Spread the word. Don't look for the masses. They're not going to do it, ever. They never have. So that's my little, that's my little comment. So listen tonight, because the World Health Organization is a criminal organization, and this treaty would virtually dictate anything if they decided, we believe to prevent the next pandemic, you must take these vaccines. You'll have no choice. You either take them, or you can be in prison. And remember, remember this, they said that the pandemic affects everyone, the virus can be everywhere, but it cannot be in a liquor store. It cannot be in a Walmart or a, a, a made drugstore. It cannot be in Whole Foods, health food stores. And as long as you're sitting in that little stand in that little circle three feet apart, you're fine. But what about the woman who is sitting alone in the bleachers while her son wearing a mask was playing soccer and she was stunned with a stun gun and arrested? And what about the guy kayaking alone in the ocean in California? And he was arrested. Do you see the insanity of this? That's how you know how bad it's going to be if this treaty passes. Because these are the 90% who will get right in line, no matter what they're asked to do. Give them a chip, give them an identity chip, digitize their money. These are the cult members. And we are a nation of cultists at this moment. Right and left is irrelevant. Your political party is irrelevant. This is the deep state working with the corporate interest. And they have the power at this moment. Want to know how we should know this? I'm going to play you the first clip. This is entitled, We Are All the Same, All in the Same Struggle. So don't look at yourself as being in a unique struggle. We are all in this struggle. Therefore, we should all who are not afraid to go out there and, and take a chance. Listen carefully to what he has to say. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I want to do, if I can, just sort of uh, try to connect some strands on the uh, economic and geopolitical scene that I think are uh, connected to or related to the Israel-Palestine conflict and the impending uh, demise of Zionism. You know, one thing that occurs to me uh, that pertains to the increasing pro-Palestinian sentiment in the West is that, uh, you know, I was among uh, a handful of writers and analysts back in the, na uh, the late 1990s, in the early 2000s, uh, who predicted what was referred to then as the third worldization of the West and of the United States uh, specifically. Uh, that being the natural trajectory of neoliberalism and austerity. What that referred to is, if it isn't obvious, is that um, the idea was that the trend of uh, rising corporate power uh, and the trend of neoliberalism would inevitably lead to conditions in the West that uh, would be akin to the conditions in the so-called developing world, conditions akin to uh, the conditions in countries that had been colonized, that had been exploited, that had been uh, ravaged by the West for decades, if not for centuries. That means poverty, hunger, unemployment, disease, violence, crime, um, general deterioration in the quality of life, 
lack of availability or access to uh, amenities and services for the general public, crumbling infrastructure, uh, deindustrialization, social turmoil, and so on. It also means uh, increasingly authoritarian control and oppressive, violent law enforcement, uh, curtailment of civil liberties, and so on, growing disparities uh, in both wealth and power in the society, with fewer and fewer people possessing more and more power, more and more control, more and more authority over society, with less and less accountability of power. In other words, the West was going to become uh, less like uh, what is known as the first world, uh, stereotypically, and more like what is known stereotypically as the third world. Uh, well, I think it's fairly obvious that this is, in fact, what has happened over the last 20 or 30 years. The ascendancy of the owners and controllers of global financialized capital as the unsurpassed power in the society, the wholesale transfer of power to the private sector, as I've said many times, the creation of an a-national sovereign authority with no stake uh, in the prosperity or the success or the stability of any given country. Essentially, you have created uh, an imperial power that is not anchored uh, to any geographically defined center. This has meant uh, that the Western countries themselves and Western populations themselves are now eligible for the same type of program of subjugation and uh, predatory domination as Western imperial powers historically uh, imposed upon the countries of the global south. You're turning your own populations in the West uh, into neo-colonized, oppressed people. You're treating your own people uh, the way that you always treated the people of the global south. This now has created, within those people, within your own people, uh, it has created, uh, or it is creating in them, a mindset and a mentality uh, and a worldview that resembles the people of the Global South. The mindset and the mentality uh, of the oppressed. The mindset and the mentality of the exploited, of the colonized. And the colonized, the exploited, and the oppressed, uh, the people of the Global South, are and always have been pro-Palestinian. As I've said many times, everyone in the world uh, can recognize what Zionism is uh, and that it is just a thinly cloaked form of Western imperialism, colonization. They know because they have experienced it themselves. They've experienced Western colonization and imperialism. Well, now even the populations in the West are learning what it feels like to be oppressed, to be exploited, and to be colonized because they are, uh, in fact, being colonized by corporate imperialism, by corporate power, the imperialism of the owners and controllers of global financialized capital. And this is making them more and more like the people of the global south in their thinking and in their sentiments. And this is at least one factor, in my opinion, uh, that's making more and more people in the West pro-Palestinian, because more and more people in the West can relate to the vicious disregard and dehumanization uh, and dispossession that the Palestinians have suffered for decades. In other words, the masses in the West uh, are finding that they have increasingly more in common 
with the masses in the global south. And this presents a serious problem for the OCGFC. But it's not a problem that they didn't anticipate. On the contrary, they have anticipated it. And they anticipated it for at least as long uh, as any of us uh, anticipated the third worldization of the West. Which is why the third worldization of the West has included authoritarian control over society. This is why you have had an increasing uh, militarization of the police. You've had uh, stricter controls and restrictions on public gatherings and on demonstrations and so on. You have uh, greater and greater censorship in the media and social media. You have literally, uh, you've literally had lockdowns during COVID. It's near martial law conditions, banning of protests, banning of uh, various types of dissident speech in the West and so on. What you're seeing in the West uh, in terms of these increasingly authoritarian measures is essentially uh, a preemptive counter-revolution. They're trying to put down an insurgency before it happens because it's inevitable that it will happen and they fully anticipate that it will happen if they don't preemptively suppress it. And so uh, a pro-Palestinian protest to them is nothing but an, uh, a precursor to an insurgency. It's a precursor uh, to an uprising against neocolonialism in the West, because the Palestinian cause is an exact and acute expression of anti-imperialism, and it's an exact and, and uh, acute expression of solidarity with the spirit of anti-imperialism and the spirit of anti-colonialism in the global South. And again, it is uh, highly significant, as I've said before, that the pro-Palestinian movement in the West and globally is very precisely uh, directed against Western corporations. Uh, literally, it's directed against the specific institutions that represent and in fact are uh, the institutions of modern imperialism. The way the owners and controllers of global financialized capital expected uh, protest and resistance to manifest, I believe, was for it to be directed against governments, was for it to be directed against the state, Directed, uh, in other words, against the facades of power, not against the real entities of power. That has been their expectation, because that's the way it always was. That was their expectation, and that was their hope, that people would direct their grievances uh, at the formal but fake institutions of power. When they direct their grievances against private sector power, uh, this is exactly what the uh, OCGFC have always wanted to avoid. This is exactly what they always wanted to deflect. And they wanted to deflect uh, this type of protest and resistance and opposition by uh, maintaining the illusion of democratic processes and state authority. They want you uh, to focus on the effigies and the puppets who hold political office because those people are powerless and uh, they're expendable. Politicians are disposable and replaceable. That's their function. They never wanted you to focus on uh, private sector power. They never wanted you to focus on the entities of the uh, empire of capital. So this poses a serious challenge to their power and to their control and to their agenda. You know, no one was ever supposed to even know about BlackRock. No one was ever supposed to know about Vanguard and State Street and so on. But all of this is becoming common knowledge now. And the strategy... Uh, the pro-Palestinian strategy of boycott and public pressure against Western corporations, Western companies, uh, 
uh, that uh, do support or are perceived to support Zionism uh, is, I think, permanently changing uh, the way that people all around the world uh, and in the West, how they confront power. The Palestinian issue is refining the recognition that real power resides in the private sector. Now, this, in my opinion, uh, presents also, and most importantly, uh, a really historic opportunity for actual solidarity between the uh, masses of the West and the masses of the Global South, and in fact, between the masses of the West and in the Muslim world. You know, Muslims across the globe have always been or have always made a distinction between the common people of the West and those in power, even though uh, the West has been responsible for tremendous destruction, tremendous violence, uh, and tremendous suffering in the Muslim world. Nevertheless, despite all of this, Muslims have maintained a feeling of goodwill towards the common people of the West. Now, this goodwill was not always reciprocated, if we're being honest, and it has often seemed, to me anyway, to be misplaced. However, the average American, the average uh, British citizen, and the average European, as I said, is now feeling, or starting to feel, more and more like someone who's living under imperialism, who's living under colonization. And so now I think that there's a greater chance for a reciprocation of goodwill and the establishment of real solidarity between uh, the, the, the average people of the West and, and the Muslim world and in the global South. And this can manifest, inshallah, through coordinated strategies. I've said for a long time uh, that Westerners are misguided if they felt or if they feel any sense of loyalty or any sense of fealty or any sense of nationalism on the basis of being Westerners. Because the truth is, the West never cared about them. Most of them, uh, generation after generation, going back from today all the way back for centuries, most of them and their ancestors were serfs and they're serfs today. Most of them were poor, most of them were exploited, and most of them never had uh, any sort of power in their societies, and they're powerless now, and they're exploited today. Their so-called civilization uh, never respected them, and it doesn't respect them now. So I think that they should align themselves with us. They should align themselves with the Muslims. They should align themselves uh, with the global south. They should align themselves with the global oppressed, with the global colonized. And they should align themselves with the global resistance, the global resistance to imperialism the imperialism of the owners and controllers of global financialized capital. They should align themselves with the middle nation, the people of the Muslim world and the people of the global south uh, who are trying to sculpt out a, a different future uh, than what is being pursued by the new feudal masters of the private sector, the new feudal masters uh, of private sector power, the OCGFC. The global economic and political order is pivoting right now, as I've talked about many times. And when something is pivoting, uh, when something is turning or shifting, it means it's in a delicate state. It's not fixed. It's like that brief moment in a fight uh, when your opponent is shifting his balance from one foot to the other. That's your opportunity. Things can turn in any direction right now. And the deciding factor is going to be what the people do. What the, uh, what the masses do, what the populations do. And it's happening right now. It's happening right now at this moment with Gaza, with the Palestinian issue, and with the global response.
to the Palestinian issue. As I've said before, Gaza is symbolic. Palestine is symbolic. It's symbolic of a larger uh, worldwide struggle, a worldwide resistance to Western imperial domination. And that resistance is already helping uh, local businesses in the global south and in the Muslim world to flourish. It's already having results as more and more people shun Western companies and brands. And it's already establishing a new approach to conflict uh, in the region and internationally with a greater emphasis on uh, diplomacy and international coordination, particularly among the BRICS nations and among the Muslim countries. And it's already accelerating uh, the liberation of international trade from the U.S. dollar, which has never been anything but a shakedown. And it's already exposing uh, the hypocrisy of the colonizing powers and their institutions, like the blatantly rigged system of the United Nations and the ICC. And it's already uh, destroying the lies and the propaganda of the uh, mainstream media narratives. And that global resistance movement is wrestling away control over public opinion, the control over public opinion of the mainstream media. And it's already delivering a powerful message to the owners and controllers of global financialized capital that unaccountable private sector power can be and will be and is being held accountable. It's sending a message that corporate power can no longer act like um, amoral actors on the global stage and that the people of the world are ultimately more powerful and more important than their shareholders, whether they like it or not. I'm telling you, we're living through a watershed moment. A transformative moment. I've said it many times. Western civilization never civilized. But if the common left, people Gary. of the West uh, align themselves 30 seconds with left. the civilized world, with the Muslims, and with the global south, and if they have solidarity with us in our resistance to Zionism and to Western imperialism, why the West may yet become civilized. And together, inshallah, we can bring an end to their long, brutal reign of greed, subjugation, violence, and the mindset of profit before people, of profit before morality, and of profit before justice. Jazakumullahu khairan wa assalamu alaikum. Okay, interesting insights. You can agree or disagree. I would agree with what he had to say because it's historically accurate about the suppression and colonization of different peoples around the world. But I do not believe that we should be emphasizing the religious aspect, but rather the political aspect. If you have two people who are equally suppressed, it doesn't matter if one is a Jew, one is a Christian, or one is a Muslim, and one is um, an atheist. They're human beings. If we looked at common-held humanity and work for the betterment of those people, then we wouldn't have today. Over two-thirds of the American population could not write you a check for $500 to $1,000. They're deep into debt. They're stressed to the max. But part of that, they were conditioned. They were, they were propagandized into what to buy, things they did not need with money they did not have. And then when they were charged usurious rates, then even when they couldn't afford it and had to go bankrupt, no one cared. They got the next credit card the next day after bankruptcy. That's the society we live in. Those are people who don't care about you. They care about how they can exploit you. 
And that's what we're doing. And by the way, just a couple things. We've got to say goodbye to BAI. Call in now if you'd like to share your thoughts at 888-874-488. But from the latest, a New Zealand whistleblower was arrested yesterday. Why? For exposing the truth. What did they do? Quote, statistician, official statistician, who became a whistleblower, Barry Young, also known as Winston Smith, has been arrested by New Zealand authorities for exposing a damning database on COVID-19 vaccine deaths. However, the official charge was, quote, dishonestly accessing vaccination data. But he was allowed to. He was a statistician. It's just that they didn't want any statistician to tell the truth of how many people actually died because of the vaccine. He told the truth. Once again, someone who goes after Look, when, when they arrested him and he was telling the truth about the actual death count and the increase in death count from the different batches, anywhere from 21.38% increase in deaths from those, uh, he wasn't supposed to do that. You're supposed to say everything is fine, no unusual deaths. But the statistics everywhere in the world show it's otherwise. And uh, so... You know, this was reported in the New Zealand Herald, but we knew that the leader of um, who was voted out of office um, and now works, I believe, for Harvard as a professor, how they all go there, uh, Gloria Lightfoot. Could you imagine her with her background being able to be in power? But they all have power after they leave. Columbia University, Hillary Clinton. It's just one example. Tell the truth show that we shouldn't have had the vaccine, that the vaccine was causing people to die, and you're put in jail. And that's true everywhere. Every country is trying to do that. The United States wants to do the same because it's misinformation. In Great Britain, you'd be arrested if you said what he said for uh, giving false information. But it's not false. It's honest. So, you know, that's, that's just one aspect. But there's another aspect I wanted to share with you. And it's important because think of, remember this program I did where I quoted one of the world's leading neurologists living, she's a professor in Great Britain, I think at Imperial College, but she did the statistics and she said that the masking of children is going to cause an entire generation to have neurological deficits and damage to the central nervous system and brain. And she was shouted down. Mask, mask, mask. People were fought if they didn't wear a mask. Quote, masking kids had zero real-world effectiveness, says British Medical Journal, in the current issue, just out. Quote, forcing children to wear face masks to protect against COVID-19 failed to have any real-world effectiveness, according to a recent open-access study published in the highly renowned British Medical Journal. Six scientists and researchers contributed, and they saw, they did a systematic review of all the available literature. We did the same thing, by the way, and we pr- produced that. Richard Gale and myself wrote an article about how masks don't work. They're actually harmful because the particulate matter in the mask then breaks off and goes into your lungs. How you absorb all this extra carbon dioxide and uh, also how you are deficient in oxygen level. And this was done 
We gave you the examples. We showed you the video. We present the evidence. I hope that some people took that to heart. Now we're learning, after looking at 22 major studies, the authors found, quote, real-world effectiveness of child mask mandates against SARS-2 transmission or infection has not been demonstrated with high-quality evidence, end quote. So the mask didn't work. And yet, they're continuing to use the mask today. And we want to we want to support uh, the New Zealand statistician and uh, epidemiologist for exposing the truth about the real numbers of death caused by COVID-19 vaccine. So it's, uh, the information is out there, people. Just a lot is happening that the world is not aware of. And I'm going to ask uh, Kyle in our office in New York, our studio. Kyle, do we have any calls? If we do, I'll be happy to take them. No calls, Gary. No calls? Okay. Well, we're going to say thank you. Listen tonight and tell everyone you know, listen tonight. It's going to be a different type of interview. I'm specifically going to interview him on, tell us exactly, word for word, what's wrong with this treaty that the world does not know about, that has a hidden agenda to take control over much of our lives. And then the World Economic Forum comes in on top of that. And if you doubt what that gentleman just said a few moments ago, Take a look at the Canadian truckers. Everyone had their bank accounts frozen. Everyone could not get money in, nor could they pay bills. Everyone didn't even have enough money to buy food. And the one place they went that would give them a free meal, they went after that person, closed down their uh, store, and froze their bank accounts. That, and who's uh, responsible for that? Justin Trudeau. And what was he? He was one of the World Economic Forum's new young global leaders 20 years ago. Okay. They've got a long-term plan, and we have to start to act. Listen tonight, 7 o'clock. Have a nice day, everyone.